Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, capital chaos. Speaker Kevin McCarthy ousted by his own party, becoming the first speaker to be voted out. He's now blaming the Problem Solvers Caucus. It was, it was a rough day yesterday, and, and these things are tough. Plus, staying silent. Almost two weeks after Senator Menendez was charged with federal crimes, Hudson County Democrats are mostly mum. This is a guy that has deep connections there. Got a lot of people there starting politics, so some people don't want to touch it out of respect. Also, undiagnosed teens with autism. A new Rutgers University study reveals a quarter of New Jersey's 16-year-olds are not formally diagnosed. It wasn't until she started to get progressively older that autism really presented itself. And assessing the aftermath in Asbury Park. Days after the severe weekend flooding, many businesses are still closed. We had kegs of beer floating over to Ocean Grove and people are still returning it all over town. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. Funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. And Orsted, committed to the creation of a new long-term sustainable clean energy future for New Jersey. From NJPBS, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Finozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Wednesday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. Congress is effectively paralyzed tonight after a historic vote on Tuesday ousting Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his seat, plunging the chamber into chaos. Eight hard right Republicans led the effort. They joined with 208 Democrats to kick McCarthy out, marking the first time in U.S. history that the House removed its leader. McCarthy has said he won't run again for speaker. Representatives Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise have officially entered the race with other GOP members like Kevin Hearn waiting in the wings. The House is taking no further votes this week and Republicans are expected to hold a speaker candidate forum next Tuesday. The tension within the GOP is now also being pointed at Democrats, specifically in the Problem Solvers Caucus, a bipartisan group of lawmakers who work together on solutions, who voted to take the gavel from McCarthy. Joining me now is the co-chair, Congressman Josh Gottheimer. Congressman, great to get a chance to talk to you. Democrats obviously played a very big role in ousting Kevin McCarthy. Why didn't centrists like yourself throw him the lifeline he needed? Well, two things I'll say to that. One, as you know, electing a speaker is very much a family discussion on on the majority party side. And, you know, on, on the, the decision they made on their side was to uh, oust Kevin McCarthy, the extremists uh, in, in their party. And so, you know, what I've been focused on, and I'll continue to be focused on, is how do we come together and actually get things done? We've got 40 days before the government shuts down again. Uh, the key now is to figure out how we move forward here. But I'm eager to sit down and work with whoever uh, they pick to, to make sure we can stop uh, another government shutdown and focus on the priorities of, of Jersey and for our country. Okay, but now you have what looks to be, anyway, talks of a potential collapse 
of your Problem Solvers Caucus, uh, Republicans who are reportedly uh, looking at leaving en masse because of this vote. Did that not cause even more chaos? No, I, I read some stories about that, too, and that's just not true. You know, listen, so Republicans a, aren't threatening to leave to leave the caucus. It was, it was a rough day yesterday, and and these things are tough. You know, people uh, uh, obviously and, and rightly so it was a, a very emotional day for for everyone in the chamber yesterday. And um, I'm confident based on all the discussions today is now what we're very focused as a caucus on how we move forward now in terms of focusing on stopping government shutdown. And, you know, looking at are there things we can change institutionally, which I'm very supportive of, uh, what can we do to change some of the rules of the House to discourage extremists from being be able to take over and to vacate the chair? And those are the kind of things that we need to work on immediately. Um, and, and as you probably saw uh, uh, Speaker McCarthy say yesterday that he wasn't interested in working with Democrats to get that done. Um, and, and of course, that that's his choice. He uh, was that the that, last straw, Congressman. Was that where uh, was was that the last straw for you all? No, I mean, listen. You either can get an agreement to gun together, working together, and figure out a way to encourage more bipartisanship, which is what I'm all about. But you have to actually have an institution that encourages it and allows for it. Let um, me ask and then you about that, Congressman. So far, as I'm sure you know, uh, Representative Steve Scalise, uh, Jim Jordan have tossed their hat into the ring. We know that there are others who will likely run. Would you vote for either of them? Again, that's what I've said before. Like that's their family to work out. I, if they want to nominate Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, who I think is a phenomenal leader, I'll, I'll I'll vote for Akeem with them if they want to do that. Otherwise, it's going to be on them to work out in their family who they'd like to be there to be their leader. There's real issues that we can do if we work together, but you got to change the way the approach they're taking by stop kowtowing to to the extremists in their party. Yeah, no, no, I'll I'll do respect. I, I understand that, but that's not where the house is at right now. Um, you all have adjourned for the week. I mean, how do you answer to constituents who would? likely and rightfully rather you all still be on the hill working this out. They sent us home yesterday. Uh, again, not my decision. Um, they adjourned. So they're working out in their family, their issues. I'm focused on, I woke up this morning and was on the phone with members of Congress on both sides of the aisle, figuring out how we're going to make sure that we get a deal done so that the government doesn't shut down and hurt our veterans and our law enforcement and seniors and children. That's what I'm focused on fighting for Jersey. All right, Congressman Josh Gottheimer for us. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Great to see you. Thanks. Over in the Senate, more than half of the Democratic caucus have called for New Jersey's senior Senator Bob Menendez to resign following his indictment on federal corruption and bribery charges. But Democrats from his home turf in Hudson County, they've remained quiet. And as senior political correspondent David Cruz reports, their silence says it all. Democrats from the governor on down have made it clear Bob Menendez should resign. But there is one place where Democrats are a little less quick to show Menendez the door. Hudson County. It's where Menendez made his political bones and where crossing him used to be tantamount to political suicide. I know who you are and I won't forget you. In the wake of the indictment, Hudson County Democratic Organization officials met and released a statement attributed to HCDO Chairman Anthony Veneri, which acknowledged the senator's pain and noted his five decades of service, adding Senator Menendez will have to make his own choice on whether or not he can continue 
to effectively carry out the duties of his office while working to clear his name. What you're really saying is that the uppercase D Democratic Party does not have lowercase D Democratic values, and you can see that happening in this very process. Hector Oseguera ran in a congressional primary against then-Congressman Albio Cires, the HCDO candidate, and was defeated handily. He says when the bosses make up their minds, everyone else falls into line. You're essentially burning all your ties or, you know, you'll make yourself persona non grata for a, a certain amount of time. There's no uh, sin greater to the mafia than to betray the mafia. Elena Little just lost a primary for county executive against Craig Guy, the HCDO candidate. He has uh, deep relationships to the other power players in the HCDO and uh, he's also known for being vindictive. So I can certainly understand why no one wants to stick their neck out and be the first to ask for him to step down. Most Hudson Democrats we reached out to wanted no part of commenting about Menendez on the record, many not even off the record. Hudson View reporter John Haynes says nowadays Menendez may not be as scary as all that, but he has earned the loyalty. This is a guy that has deep connections there, got a lot of people there starting politics, so some people don't want to touch it out of respect, and uh, other people just don't want their name attached to Menendez in any way. Jersey City Councilman James Solomon did not release a statement on the Menendez indictment. He's felt all along that the senator should resign. He says the HCDO perpetuates a common trait of political culture. Elected officials uh, across the state uh, view their power as not coming from the people, but coming from other political bosses. Uh, that's the root of the problem in, in New Jersey and, and in Hudson County. And we need more electoral competition at all levels, from school board all the way up to United States Senate, where elected officials feel like, hey, I, I got to prove to the people that I deserve to keep this job, not other political bosses. Ironically, while the party bosses here were seen to be waffling on Menendez, they're almost unanimous in their support for former Governor Jim McGreevy to be the next mayor of Jersey City, a race that's almost two years away, proving to some that the bosses can be decisive when they want to be. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. Well, there are more questions tonight about the state's ability to manage nursing home facilities after yet another blistering report. This one conducted by the Federal Inspector General's office, which found more than 360 violations at 20 unnamed nursing homes. That was during on-site and document audits conducted from March to May of 2022. Among the failures, blocked emergency exits, missing carbon monoxide detectors, broken power generators and faulty COVID-19 protocols, putting the health and safety of staff residents and visitors at increased risk, according to the report. The inspector general also came down hard on New Jersey for not doing a better job complying with federal safety guidelines. The Department of Health didn't respond to a request for comment. Our health care reporter Lilo Stainton says this report adds to existing friction over the homes. The, the state gets a chance to respond formally in these reports, and the state didn't um, accept or deny the allegations. 
Um, they did say, you know, if our inspectors had been there, we would have also called a lot of these violations. The state didn't seem a need to really go above and beyond what the regulations are requiring. And that raised concerns for these federal auditors. Talk is cheap, right? It's the actual action is needed. And that's the costly and complex and really controversial part um, that is going to take a lot of work and still needs to be done. New findings from researchers at Rutgers University are offering surprising insight on autism diagnoses in New Jersey. After combing through data on 16-year-olds in specific areas of the state, experts discovered about a quarter of teens with autism go undiagnosed and as a result are missing out on critical resources. Senior correspondent Joanna Gagas reports. It wasn't until she started to get progressively older that autism really presented itself. Sandy Lopiccolo's daughter Maddie is 15. She's had developmental delays since birth, but it wasn't until Maddie was 10 years old that she was finally diagnosed with autism. I think she kind of fell off the radar a little bit. She's very social. It's really her strength. She understands um, language. She knows how to connect with people. Um, it's really kind of her superpower. And so I think for the longest time, she was able to navigate in our world without a diagnosis. A new study just released by Rutgers University shows that Maddie isn't alone. We found that one out of four individuals had no autism diagnosis through age 16. This means that one out of four individuals with autism may not have been getting the full a complement or repertoire of interventions and strategies that are appropriate for individuals with autism. They looked at health and education records of all 16-year-olds across four counties to see who would have autism based on the information in each child's records. Zaharadni found the results alarming. Even in this day and age of great awareness and greater knowledge about autism, there's still a very significant uh, proportion of individuals who are not known under that diagnosis. Autism New Jersey's Suzanne Buchanan says one major hurdle facing families is the time it takes to get a diagnosis, sometimes up to a year, even two. That wait is unconscionable. Her organization is looking for ways to include pediatricians in the diagnostic process to help speed it up and help more children access early interventions. Sometimes parents are told that they need to be referred to a specialist and that the specialist is required to make their child's diagnosis. Um, but if the pediatrician feels comfortable, if they have specialized training, many times the pediatrician themselves can offer that diagnosis. That's how Maddie received her diagnosis after meeting with countless specialists. In fact, it was a neurodevelopmental pediatrician that, and at the time, I had even, I didn't even have a clue as to what a neurodevelopmental pediatrician was or even did. And she has been with us, um, you know, for the past five years and has really been sort of our quarterback. The fact that Maddie is a girl also likely slowed down her diagnosis. According to the Rutgers study, more boys tend to have autism than girls. It also found children from affluent communities are twice as likely to be diagnosed than those in poor communities. And white kids are more likely to be diagnosed than Hispanic or black children, a fact that Zaharadni says points to access rather than the actuality of autism in those communities. It also found a likelihood of concurring diagnoses. Most frequently, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, but we also find a significant number of children with 
anxiety disorders or uh, mood disorders. That holds true for Maddie as well. She's technically multiply disabled, so she has both developmental and intellectual delays, as well as autism, anxiety, um, ADHD, a whole host of others. Maddie is receiving the full spectrum of care as she navigates the complicated world of being a teenager and a girl with autism. In Maplewood, I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. In our Spotlight on Business report, you've heard of social justice and even environmental. Well, a group of state leaders today took a deep dive on achieving financial justice for residents, tackling issues of affordable housing, the impact of medical debt, and other debt traps that often target lower-income households. As Melissa Rose Cooper reports, the problems are especially hard-hitting for New Jersey residents. Whether it's redlining or lack of opportunity, uh, to get the, the kind of loans uh, and credit rating and equity and all the things that you need uh, if you're a developer, the high cost of construction, uh, inflation, all these things contribute to the difficulty of building housing that's affordable. Issues Mayor Ras Baraka says he's committed to improving in Newark, a city where roughly 75% of residents are renters. You are racing against these equity, these LLC companies that come together and are purchasing property as quickly as they can get their hands on it. Properties that are foreclosed, properties that people have for sale. You know, people calling people's houses saying, I'll buy your property for $250,000. Those are the guys, right? So they, they're buying your property and they, they're flipping it or turning it into two and three family homes and are raising the rent on those properties. Uh, so they're making money off of that. So it's an investment for them, uh, which makes it unaffordable for you and difficult for you to purchase purchase a home or rent at a, at, a, at a price that's affordable. The mayor was one of several speakers discussing possible ways to end the housing crisis at New Jersey Citizen Action's annual Financial Justice Summit. New Jersey is the seventh least affordable state in the nation with a fair market rent for a two-bedroom apartment in New Jersey estimated at a little over $1,700 a month, which requires someone to have an annual income of over $70,000 or make $33.50 an hour. Um, if they don't want to spend more than 30% of their pay on utilities and rent. Uh, despite the fact that New Jersey implemented some of the strongest rental eviction and foreclosure protections during the pandemic, New, Jersey New Jersey's housing crisis remains acute, um, with an increasing demand for assistance to low and moderate income individuals across the state, including here in Newark. Nikita Bailey of the National Fair Housing Alliance says many existing housing inequities are deeply rooted in years of systemic racism. And those race-conscious policies explicitly favored white consumers. So thousands of public policies since the founding of our nation actually ensured that white people would be in a better financial position. So Bailey says ending those barriers is critical. And those solutions are things like special purpose credit programs and first generation down payment assistance with the state of New Jersey just actually passed. And it's a significant victory that will help us to correct for that history of discrimination in our mortgage system. Housing advocates also say it's important for all levels of government to work together to eliminate discriminatory practices so no community will continue to be left behind. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper. 
The Biden administration today said it'll forgive $9 billion in student debt for about 125,000 Americans. That's just as student loan repayments started up again this month following a three-year pause. The cancellations come through three different existing debt relief programs that have had glitches in the past. The White House says this will help fix a broken student loan system. So here's who qualifies. About 53,000 borrowers who are in the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program who've worked in qualifying public sector jobs and made 10 years worth of monthly payments. Another nearly 51,000 borrowers who have been in repayment for at least 20 years and 22,000 borrowers who have a total or permanent disability. The Supreme Court in June struck down President Biden's plan to cancel up to $20,000 worth of debt for millions of low and middle income earners. The administration says it's continuing to find other ways around that ruling. An appeals court on Tuesday handed New Brunswick-based Johnson & Johnson a big win, tossing out a more than $223 million verdict against the company that a jury awarded to four plaintiffs who claimed they developed cancer after being exposed to asbestos in J&J's talc products like baby powder. Well, the Superior Court of New Jersey's appellate division decided that another lower court judge shouldn't have allowed jurors in the trial to hear improper scientific testimony linking J&J's products to the plaintiff's cancers. The judges said the experts didn't explain facts or methods used to support their opinions. Johnson & Johnson contends there's no asbestos in its talc products and the company marketed them properly for more than 100 years. The ruling comes, though, as J&J still faces more than 38,000 lawsuits and a slew of jury trials early next year over similar allegations that the talc products caused ovarian cancer and mesothelioma. Turning now to Wall Street, here's a look at today's closing trading numbers. Businesses in Asbury Park are still recovering from torrential rainfall over the weekend that caused severe flooding. Some venues had more than three feet of water soak their property. Local leaders say it's the worst flooding they can remember in nearly two decades. As Ted Goldberg reports, business owners are now scrambling to reopen. There was Tito bottles floating through the, through the hallway. We had kegs of beer floating over to Ocean Grove and people are still returning it all over town, all the empty kegs. Flooding from Friday's rain devastated businesses like Asbury Fest Hall and Beer Garden. They've temporarily closed down to clean up the wreckage from four feet of water in the basement. The police department asked uh, everybody to evacuate. We did have our kitchen staff here Friday afternoon. Uh, they were prepping for the opening for Friday night. It seemed like the, the water just found As Asbury Beer Garden for some reason, it found us, and then uh, we connect with House of Independence and it found them as well. So, um, you know, it's not a good sight. The waters from Wesley Lake receded a few hours later, but the damage left behind will take weeks to clean up. I can tell you our keg system has been totally destroyed. Um, all our refrigeration, totally destroyed. Our bathroom downstairs, totally destroyed. I mean, it's just a complete mess down there. Owner Rich Crocker says he'll know the final tab when an insurance adjuster stops by tomorrow. It took about five days to pump out that water. Crocker says a little flooding in the basement is normal, but last Friday's flooding was wildly out of the ordinary. 
Business owners in Asbury tell me it was worse than Superstorm Sandy 11 years ago. We're assuming it's a fluke, but we, you always have to be prepared. So yes, we will get um, you know, better doors that can withstand the water. Whether you know high quality doors would have helped that, I, I don't know. You know, that's tough to say. Having but. spoken to you know lifetime residents, they've never seen anything like what happened the other day. Rob Weil owns Asbury Park Distillery, which shares a building with the beer garden. Within 30 minutes, I had water from my patio up through four inches throughout my entire place. So it was almost like the floodgates opened and there was really no stopping it at that point. It's the worst I had ever seen. Weil is filling and capping liquor bottles after spending a few days cleaning up the damage. Their building sits a little higher, and the flooding only hit them at ground level. The water receded quite quickly, and within a few hours it was out of here. So it was really just the cleanup of the residue that was left over, um, which, was, which was the toughest thing. And as you can see, our space is quite full. Moving everything out, moving things around, and cleaning things up, that was really the biggest issue. The next few weeks are critical and will determine if both businesses can keep their doors open. It was a couple of days of cleanup, you know, so we expedited that obviously over the weekend and through the first half of this week, um, but we got to get back to production and we're a little bit behind the eight ball. We hope to be reopened in the next month and we can celebrate what we stand for. Resiliency in the face of flooding, sadly becoming a more frequent occurrence along the Jersey Shore. In Asbury Park, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. And make sure you tune in tomorrow night for Chatbox with David Cruz. David has an extended interview with Congressman Josh Gottheimer on what a paralyzed house means for a future government shutdown, funding for Ukraine, and the Senator Menendez indictment. And he's taking your questions, so send them in. That's tomorrow night at 6 p.m. on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel. That's going to do it for us tonight, but don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. And by the PSEG Foundation. Life is unpredictable. Health insurance shouldn't be. For over 90 years, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey has provided quality, affordable health plans to New Jersey residents. We have served generations of New Jersey families and businesses and are committed to driving innovations that put you at the heart of everything we do. Our members are our neighbors, our friends, and our families. We're here when you need us most. Horizon, proud to be New Jersey.